0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. All right, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. So, in chapter 3, that we studied a couple of weeks ago, uh, it ends with a call to heavenly mindset. And uh, let me just refresh from memory, this verses 20 and 21, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That's how chapter 3 ends, so it's this call to uh, remind your citizens in heaven, Jesus is coming back, he's the king over everything, and then in chapter 4, Paul begins by saying therefore, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. So the therefore there connects the previous call to heavenly mindset to the exhortation to stand firm in the Lord, and I pointed that out uh, last week or the week before. In Matthew Henry, uh, he said, the believing hope and prospect of eternal life should engage us to be steady, even, and constant in our Christian course. Uh, and that really is what the bulk of chapter 4 deals with. Uh, it's uh, Christians are to stand firm in a heavenly mindset. Right? We're citizens of heaven, and that citizenship is to be accompanied with particular sets of characteristics, And if you think through history, every nation or government seeks to produce a certain character in its citizens. So if you go back to kind of the ancient times, the Spartans sought to produce warlike people and the Athenians, wise people. In a more modern world, we could say the British seek to produce a proper people and the Germans, an efficient people, and the French, I suppose, a cultured people. Um, I'm not... I'm not sure how to sum up the type of people America seeks to produce in a few words. Once upon a time, the goal was to produce self-reliant sort of people. Uh, Today, my inclination is to say that we are a comfortable people, and we're all about the low-cost pursuit of happiness. That's what defines our country more than anything, our pleasure. Um, And I think our paternalistic government seems to nurture that and likes it. Like I said, that's what we're motivated by. It keeps us, uh, we're never much of a threat in that sense. Alan Bloom, in his book, The Closing of the American Mind, he says that the culture that the American collegiate system nurtures is one of openness, where you're open to all worldviews and all ideas and everything's treated equally, and we see that playing out right now in the public conversations. Regardless um, of what Americans or Brits or Spartans are to be like, um, The question that we have to ask is, what is the characteristics of the citizens of heaven? If if your citizenship is in heaven, what is uh, our heavenly government seeking to nurture in us? And the simple answer is godliness, right? Or Christ-likeness. Back in uh, chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul said, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. But a more detailed answer is found in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, and I'm going to read all of them. And this is Christ explaining what it means to be a Christian. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Marloy Jones has a, uh, a wonderful commentary on the Sermon on the Mount that um, has been real influential in my life. I, I recommend buying it. Just have it in the home. It's a good read. And in it, he says, read the Beatitudes, and there you have a description of what every Christian is meant to be. It's not merely the description of some exceptional Christians. Our Lord does not say here that he's going to paint a picture of what certain outstanding characters are going to be and can be in this world. It is a description of every single Christian. So these are the characteristics of the citizens of heaven. And that's the character in which Paul calls them to stand firm in. Right? There's a, a theme building through Philippians, and he's calling them to stand firm in this. For example, uh, right away we see call, uh, Christ's call to be peacemakers applied in Paul's exhortation to resolve the disharmony between Iodia and uh, Synache. He says, I urge Iodia and I urge Syneche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the case the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also with the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Citizens of heaven uh, make peace among the citizens of heaven. We belong to the same family. Hence, Christ says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, We also see Christ called a poverty of spirit, applied in verse 6 of chapter 4 here. Paul says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And we'll get to that next week. But in other words, the poor man, the man that realizes he has nothing in terms of resources in himself, doesn't rely on himself, especially when he has access to the king. He isn't bogged down with worry because he knows uh, that he only needs to make requests to the thrones, to the throne of God, excuse me. Hence, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We also see Christ called a purity of heart applied in verse 8 of this chapter. Paul says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So what's the result of this sort of meditation? Paul says, just a verse down, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Or in other words, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So those are a few examples of how the heavenly character is to be applied in life. Right, right here in chapter 4, and you'll notice that I, I skipped over our two verses, so let's go there. Um, we see the same sort of thing uh, with them as we do in the other examples. These verses are exhortations to live out your heavenly citizenship here on earth. That's what he's doing. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, Enjoy joy is the entire backdrop of this book. It's all about unity and joy and how they work together. Philippians 1.4, I mean, listen to how many times it comes up. This is why everyone says this book's about, only about joy. It's about, joy is the backdrop, but it's, it's a big deal. Philippians 1, four. always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Philippians 1.25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress And joy in the faith. Philippians 2.2, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, uh, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Philippians 2.17, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Philippians 2.18, you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Philippians two twenty nine. receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. And lastly, Philippians 4 1, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown. So it isn't just Philippians, though, that talks about joy like this. Joy is a reoccurring and central theme in Scripture. The psalmist writes, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And uh, and then again in Psalm 66. He says, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Likewise, in the New Testament, we read that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Right? If the Holy Spirit's in you, according to Galatians 5.22, you're going to produce and have uh, joy coming out of you. It's a Christian virtue. Now, in verse 4, it's a clear command to always be joyful. Joy isn't optional. Paul leaves no room for the Christian to not be joyful. He doubles down and removes any wiggle room from those that would want to find a justification to be anything other than joyful, right? Rejoice in the Lord always, so it's always. That's clear enough. Again, I will say rejoice. He doubles down. He wants you to get this through your hard head because your head is hard. Your heart is hard, right? Philippians love him, so he's going to bring it to them straight, and, and we should do that with... Our people as well. You need to hear it. This is, he wants to emphasize something, and the Spirit inspired him, so it's for you as well. Um, so to not be joyful, then, is a sin. It is a sin. It is a disregard of a biblical command. Scripture commands you to rejoice in the Lord always. And if you don't do that, you are in sin. If you're like me, you don't like that. You want to believe that the world's binary, that we can either be a we can either be a jaded pessimist or a shallow happy clappy type. And that's how we tend to think about things. We divide things simply like that. And that's false. The key is to rejoice in the Lord. That's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, as an application of that heavenly mindset, joy is that character of someone uh, joy is a character of someone that belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Paul writes this letter from jail. He's in jail. He's separated from those he loves. He's sidelined from uh, the work he'd like to get back to. And there's a real possibility that he might be killed. He might be martyred for his faith. And yet he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Right? In every age, in every circumstance, in every moment, we are to rejoice Joy is, uh, is a state that's available to a Christian at all times. It is always available to you. Understand? There's no excuses. There's no, there's no way out of this, right? If you're not joyful, you're sinning. That's what I'm trying to get across here. Right? You can be joyful at any time. Cancer, right? death of a loved one, loss of a job, right? just dissatisfaction in your marriage. Right, there, there is a way to be joyful in all those, all those times. Matter of fact, it's what's meant by being blessed in the Beatitudes. Some translate blessed as happy. Maybe you've seen that in some of the newer American translations. But the modern use of, of that word has drained it of any real meaning. Right, Happy uh, is too flippant and sentimental nowadays to really get What's going on there? Blessed is the best translation. Because the Greek word communicates something much richer than happy. It means happy, but along with uh, a profound peace, comfort, stability, and great joy. Matter of fact, it would not be wrong to translate the Beatitudes as joyful are the poor in spirit, joyful are those who mourn, joyful are the gentle, and so forth. And R.C. Sproul writes, How could a person... Be in mourning and still be joyful. Well, I think we can unravel that not fairly easily. The heart of the New Testament concept is this. A person can have biblical joy even when he is mourning, suffering, and undergoing difficult circumstances. This is because the person's mourning is directed towards one concern. But uh, in that same moment, he possesses a measure of joy. The Christian is always in the Lord, and the Lord is always in the Christian, And that is always a reason for joy. Even if the Christian cannot rejoice in his circumstances, if he finds himself passing through pain, sorrow, grief, he still can rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us or forsakes us, we can always rejoice. Always. And that is a stern rebuke to those of us that are cynical, pessimistic, and or Complainers. See, pessimism is a functional rejection of the resurrection. Pessimists re- uh, reject the resurrection. That's what you're doing. You're, you're demonstrating a false gospel in your mindset. Let me prove it to you. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Pitiful, depressing men. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then this whole thing's a farce, right? Our sins haven't been forgiven. Us singing about our sins being forgiven is a joke. Us having any alleviation of our guilt is a joke. Um... There's no hope of resurrection in heaven, no, no benefits of being a citizen in heaven if Christ hasn't uh, uh, raised. Right? The, Paul wants to experience the power of the resurrection, right? which is holiness in this life that leads and ends in that um, glorification. But if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, you're not going to be. And, um, and that's how some of us live, as if Jesus never came off the cross. I have one friend who's dear to me, But for a long time, I always called him Eeyore, and it made him really mad. But I'd always call him Eeyore because no matter what, you know, like Eeyore, like, I can't see the sun because the clouds are out. Oh, the sun is in my eyes, right? Like, no matter what, you know, the guy is always negative. And uh, and I'd always call this guy Eeyore, which was, like, teasing. But then, like, I kind of tripped out one day, and I was like, you know what? You know, you you act like Jesus didn't raise from the dead, right? You're you're acting like a heretic, brother. Like I'm sick of it. Right? God is good. I mean, is the is the gospel good news or just what what is it? I thought it was good news. And it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the heart of it. And we live often like there is no hope. Like there is no power. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Our sins are forgiven. And we have the promise of eternal life in a perfected world that's yet to come. And that should make you joyful. It doesn't make you joyful, you just don't understand your sin yet. You don't understand the gospel. You should talk and pray about that. But It should make you joyful. No matter what befalls me, no matter what befalls you, if you're a Christian, we know how this ends. I know the end of this life already. It will end with me being accepted into the presence of a holy God as a son, as a beloved son. That's how this ends. Praise God, right? Christ is off the cross and seated at the right hand of the Father. He's our advocate. If that won't make you joyful, I don't know what will. Now, that being said, I, I can't stand most Christian music, just can't stand it. I just despise it. Um, Emily's had it on the car, and it's because she can't listen to anything else. I get it. So I've listened to some of it, and I was like, well, more things change, more they stay the same, I guess. Same sort of sounding stuff, and uh, it's because it's that happy, clappy, shallow Christianity, kind of bubblegum, and and you know I'm not a prude. I don't care if you use uh, it's not like I don't feel like it's going to be holy if they're singing the same stupid songs, you know, in Gregorian chant or something like that. That's not what this is about. I don't like their attitude. I don't like their words, and uh, and the reason I don't like it is that the way they maintain a cheerful spirit is denying the reality of our situation. I want to hear them talk about what we experience, what Paul deals with in every letter, right? which is the struggles and difficulty in this fallen world. That's what I'm looking for. I mean, Philippians is about as positive as you get in one of Paul's letters. And think of the things he addresses and talks about and the sobriety of his life. There's no sobriety there. There's that one song that we used to listen to. I was a youth pastor, so I did many stupid things, youth pastors do. And we listened to terrible, terrible songs because... um, the main job as a youth pastor is make sure kids don't have sex, don't drink alcohol, and they never mature in the Lord. Those are the three tenets of youth ministry, um, and uh, I don't know, that's not totally true. It's just mostly true, but um, this but one song is that, I'm so happy, I'm feeling clappy, I'm so cozy, my life is something terrible. <laughs> You know what this song I'm talking about? I know you do. Anyway, that's a song. It's on a worship album, and it always irritated me even back then, you know, because uh, some of our friends have died. Some of our friends are dying, right? Some of us are struggling to get by every week. Um, that's not my life. And that's not the joy. I mean, uh, joyful are those that mourn. There's no, there's no space for mourning in that. So the way they stay happy is blinders. They don't look at the world as it is. So it's okay to be a little irritated by happy clappiness. We don't want to see cheesy fakeness here. That's what we're after. Biblical Christianity, joyful Christianity, soberly, soberly faces dark realities and says Christ is victorious. That's where the joy comes from. That's in Philippians. Remember what Paul said back at the end of chapter 3, by the exertion of his power that he, has even, that he has even to subject all things to himself. Everything is underneath the lordship of Christ. He's in control of everything. Absolute positive sovereignty. There's nothing outside of his control. That's why we can counter it all joy when we fall in various temptations or trials. Because we know God's working in it and through it. And that's huge. Joy is a powerful apologetic. Joy is amazing to uh, non-Christians because they can't reproduce it. They can only fake it. But uh, one thing I was thinking about, this guy caught me off guard and went apostate in our church, the church plant back in the day, and I just, I didn't see it. And uh, let him teach and, uh, you know, always endorsed him to people. He's a very talented writer and a pretty close friend for a time. And, and he ended up going apostate and wrecking his marriage and all sorts of things. And as I look back on it, the thing that should have clued me in to him not being regenerate, to not being a Christian, that was so obvious um, in retrospect, was his lack of joy. I mean, this guy, when it came to systematic and theological language, he had it down pat. But I think he loved the beauty of the system of Christianity, right? The logic, how it interlocks. A lot of people are attracted to, that's why a lot of people become Calvinists. You know, a lot of Calvinists aren't even Christians, I think, sometimes. Or, or, they just love the system. They think being a, a Christian is living in your head, and it's like an academic subject to them. And, uh, but there was no, there was no joy. And I look back on it and I think, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Joy is the defining feature of a Christian. It's otherworldly because this world's fallen. and You can only have joy if you have the Lord, right? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And that's why it's such a powerful apologetic. And I remember when I first became a Christian, I had not been the most pleasant person prior to my conversion and, um... But I do remember that this woman that I used to go buy. She was just like a cashier, and she knew me because I just went through this gas station every day. And she's like, "Well, you seem really happy." And uh, and then I remember telling her, "Yeah, I became a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus?" I mean, she's like, "Oh no, what have I done? Now this guy's going to try to <laughs> give me tracks and stuff, right?" Um, but God had changed me, right? So if you lack joy, you need to come back and and read the passage in Scripture on all that God has done, right? All that you have in Christ, right? Read Ephesians 1 and 2. Read 1 Corinthians 15 if you're lacking joy. And repent, because I'm going to rebuke you for it. If I see lack of joy and I want you to rebuke me, because it is sin, and it is not okay. We should be joyful, right? Especially in our worship. Let's briefly consider um, verse 5. In verse 5, he says, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, joy is your total attitude towards the events and course of life, I think, in this passage. And gentleness, then, is our attitude towards people. Right? He says, uh, Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Again, there's that pesky word, right, all. All. Everybody, and you're always taught never to use like absolute statements in marriage. Like, you never take out the trash, right? Right, you never gonna bet on time. Oh, there's that one time, right? And then you're always are you I mean, that's just so many marriage disputes, and you're not supposed to say words like that. Um, but Paul does, and Paul t- t- does it because it's true. Our gentle, our gentle spirit should be made known to all men. And again, this is a heavenly characteristic that you find the Beatitudes. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that's contra what we usually think, right? We think the people that are going to inherit the earth, are, are brash, powerful, well, powerful is kind of true, but brash men, right? Loud mouths, you know, men just, it's just like are going to go at it hard. That's not what Scripture says. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit, inherit the earth. And the gentleness here is talking about a moderation of spirit, right? That you're not easily moved by insults and slights. Um, you're not easily annoyed by adversity. So if, if, if someone, like, insults you and you just lose it, you're not gentle. If, if you go through adversity and you start to lose it, you lack gentleness. We think of gentleness as weakness, like a little lamb or something, But what it's talking about is a balanced and controlled temperament. That's what gentleness is. A gentle person is not a doormat. God doesn't call us to be passive and weak. We have to read the whole scripture. Um, So that's not what it means to be gentle. Think of it this way. Gentleness is the ability to deal with individuals appropriately. And I'll give you an example. Um, So in sparring, in karate... All classes are going to uh, have mixed uh, ages and expertise. White belts, sometimes the black belts. Sometimes black belts have been doing it for 30 years. Sometimes an old woman that's got a black belt, like, I don't care how long she's been a black belt. Like, I could be a white belt and there's nothing she's going to, she can't stop me, right? (laughs) She's this old lady, (laughs) you understand? Um, And then there's, like, a big guy that's a white belt. Even if I'm a black belt, like, I don't know that I could hurt this guy or whatever. So then they, like, put these guys in a sparring and, uh, and in sparring, you're not supposed to go 100%. Usually, they'll tell you to go about 40%. That's about where you're going at. And uh, you're using gentleness, right? So if one man, if I come in there, and they match me with, like, some little white belt that's this tall, you know, 40% is going to be a little different with that guy than it is when I'm with this guy that's this big, right? But I'm to be gentle, but it's not identical, right? The way I would spar with the kids not identical as I would deal with a man. Uh, it, it's, it's about dealing with people appropriately. Right? There is a gentle way to deal with a hard man that's coming at you aggressively. Right? Just because he's aggressive doesn't mean that you get to fly off the handle. You still have to be gentle. That's literally what this is talking about. Those are the people they have in mind. Because right? Paul's thinking in terms of them being persecuted and prepping the Philippians for the suffering that they might face that he's faced. And that's what he has in mind there, but it doesn't mean that you're like super weak with them. it just means that you have an appropriate response and uh, you know another example would be uh, like if, if someone punches you, right you 're not allowed to pull a gun out on them, right unless you fear for your life. if you fear for your life, you could potentially do that. But these are like debates that we have in our law and what like uh, when we did our uh all us guys went out there uh, to, to get our concealed and carry, or get a paper and not mail it in some cases. Um, uh, that's what we were taught, like, when, when are you allowed to use force, right? And so this is about the appropriate use of force, whether it's in your words or physically or whatever. Um, and we have to be gentle. We have to be gentle to all men. So a, a man that's not gentle is a guy that always comes out swinging full force, even if someone, if someone insults him, right, he just comes back just as hard. He comes back harder. That's someone that lacks gentleness. That's someone that treats everyone the same, treats an enemy and a friend almost the same. Any little slight, they just fly off. That's someone lacking gentleness. If that's you, repent. That's scary, right? Because that is, that is demonstrating a lack of a characteristic that should belong to every Christian. We can grow in it. So he uh, directs them to conduct themselves peacefully in everything and exercise control over themselves, um, even in the endurance of injuries and inconveniences. And then you got this little phrase that's kind of like tucked in here. And he says, the Lord is at hand, or in our translation, the Lord is near. And some people think, any time someone sees this, they automatically think it's referring to the second coming. And that's just because, you know, the last 50 years, um, you know, Hal Lindsey, Timothy LaHaye, uh, Left Behind, all this stuff. That's just, everyone thinks that's all the Bible's about, it seems. Uh, but I, don't, I don't think it's a reference to the second coming, actually. Uh, it seems to me that this is talking about uh, providence, right? That through all the difficulties and adversities and, and injuries of life, that God works through all things. Now, I'll have you know Matthew Henry thinks this and John Calvin, too, so there's some... Some people back me up, but uh, I think that's what it's, it's talking about. And that makes sense, right? The reason we can be joyful and the reason we can be gentle with people is that we understand that God are, is working all things to good for those that love him, right? God is in and doing everything uh, to bring himself glory and doing it for our good. And so he's reminding them the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He's involved in all this stuff. Uh, so it's providence. Now, what is providence? Does anyone know? Does anyone know the shorter catechism? Does any uh, officer nominees want to impress? This is your opportunity, man. All right, don't say I didn't. Try to help someone out. To really shine, I wouldn't have been able to do it either. Um, What are God's works of providence? The Shorter Catechism answers, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, um, preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. God is behind everything. He's governing everything. And he's moving everything towards his end and his purpose. So sometimes he sends uh, these difficulties into your life to improve you and perfect you. That's the teaching of James. Can it all joy when you fall on trials? Sometimes that trial isn't just sickness or a hurricane. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's a difficult child. Sometimes it's a difficult employee or boss or neighbors. There was one point that we were dealing with very difficult neighbors I didn't like him. And there was one guy I just thought, man, I wish I could have an opportunity to tell that guy off. And then I got convicted and repented, and I'm glad I never got that opportunity. But God is doing, sending that into your life to mature you and to grow you and to perfect you. And here's the ultimate hope. Life is a vapor. You're laying down on the little kindergarten like Matt, drinking Kool-Aid and eating animal crackers, and then you got like seven kids like me six kids, or however many there are, Um, and uh, it moves quick, right, and our hope is in heaven, right, that's that's our end, so the one reason we can be faithful is because God's working through all this to bring us, right, to his final purpose, which again is Philippians, Philippians, uh, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ, so be joyful, let me just read it one more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice every circumstance. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near, and he is. He's working in everything in your life. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your incredible mercy. We thank how how your providence has uh, blessed us with beautiful days, how your providence has blessed us with friends, how through your providence we've gotten jobs and how we've nearly um, avoided accidents, or how you, uh, when we were in an accident or sick, that you, uh, through your governing, blessed us with a good doctor. Or even the age that we were born in, where we now have antibiotics and different things that you have providentially sent into our life to make life easier. Oh, thank you for this, Father. Father, I pray that as we accept these blessings that come from your hand, that we'd also accept these tests that come from your hand, whether they're illness whether they're financial difficulties or their relational uh, conflict and intensity, God. We pray that we would rejoice in all things so people could see that you are our Lord and it matters to have you as a Lord, and that you would strengthen us to be gentle towards all men to your glory. Father, we ask that we would possess the characteristics that uh, your son taught us to in the Beatitudes, Lord. We thank you that your spirit produces these things in us, God. We pray all this in the name of your son. Amen.